0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Awfully Good Waffle. I'm hosting today with Cookie and Sivas. Hello! (laughs) (laughs) Zeebas, as usual. Um, I'm really excited. This month we're dedicating our discussions and and, uh, reflections to female empowerment and we've got three topics lined up today. We're going to be talking about do we scrutinise job descriptions too much before we apply for them? Are we more likely to be triggered compared to males? Are we likely to make permanent decisions on temporary feelings said nobody ever and finally we will be talking about beliefs and behaviors and how they're formed and we can have a think about maybe some things that we might want to learn or unlearn about the way that we operate and our levels of self-awareness so with that said Share the stat, Trish.
1: Do the thing. Cool. So I found this on LinkedIn. I think a mutual colleague who we all used to work with posted it, and it just got me thinking. So this the page says, according to a LinkedIn study, women only apply to a job if they feel they meet over ninety percent of the requirements. Men will apply for a job if they feel they meet more than fifty percent of the requirements. So I remember sharing it in the groups. So I thought it was just really good food for thought, and I mm. know from my personal experience and. I don't know if this applies to all women, but I can imagine it probably is a common theme in that I maybe have a bit of imposter syndrome where I feel is that if I was to apply for a job where I didn't feel qualified enough or experienced enough or knowledgeable enough, I'd feel like I'm just out of my depth. I can't cope. I wouldn't be able to manage. I'd be under a lot of stress to perform. So I'd rather go for like a very safe role or something I'm familiar with or something I've got experience in doing. I might not necessarily know everything like the stat does say 90%, but I wouldn't want to put myself forward for something that I don't feel confident in because I feel like I'd be judged really quickly or I'd be like a lot of expectations would be on me and it'd probably be just too much pressure. Whereas I feel like men just, I don't know if it's a stereotype, but they ooze confidence. They're kind of a little bit more laid back. They're more approach of, you know, I know some stuff, I don't know everything, but I can learn on the job and I can apply the knowledge and skills I do have. Whereas maybe us females are just more cautious, more apprehensive because it's a work environment. We tend to yeah. probably be a little bit behind them. Like you, most of my line managers have always been male, to be honest. When I've had women, I'm like, yay, like a woman who's doing something senior and more experienced and, you know, got stuff she can teach me and develop and help me to grow. So I guess it's also to do with role models. I think I'm just bouncing a lot of ideas out of here, to be honest. But I definitely think the stat is true. I don't necessarily know if it's 90% and 50%, but I think men will be more likely yeah. to apply for a job they're not qualified for than a woman would. Mm. See Yeah,
2: I, I 100% agree with that stat. In fact, I, I do it myself. Like If I was to see a job advert and I didn't have everything on there, I would just think, well, what's the point? Because I'm obviously not going to get it. Like That would be my first thought and... It's interesting, actually, because I I was talking to a recruiter the other day um, and she was talking me through this role. um, And there was just a small section um, that I haven't really had previous experience in. And I was like, oh, I was so quick to point out that I didn't have experience in that. Like I had experience in everything else. But this one small area, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not sure now because I don't really have this. And she was obviously like, well, (laughs) you've got everything else. Like, it's fine. But (laughs) So I 100% agree with that stat. And it's really scary, actually, to think that just because we might not have one of the skill set on the job description that we wouldn't put ourselves forward. But I, I don't know how, how you can combat that. I'm not, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm writing about self-efficacy at the moment. I think I shared my paper with you, Bas, around um, race and self-efficacy. And as I was having a dig around, um, actually your papers about gender and self-efficacy came up and self-efficacy is your belief in yourself that you can achieve and accomplish and there are differences in certain fields between men and women and it and and Trish you, you're bang on it does come down to role modeling so it's how much opportunity have I had to master the skill mm-hmm. and like you was saying if you don't have that one thing at all how much have I seen people like me crack on and do it anyway and give it a go mm-hmm. from a role modelling? interview um and how much have I seen people in general like who look like me whether I'm female whether it's somebody from my ethical background giving it a go and succeeding even if they've never done it before and and maybe that's the gap we haven't seen I think was it you Trish you were saying you get excited when you see women who come in at a certain level and do
1: like I remember I don't name any names but our line manager when me and Charlotte used to work together when she came in and she's obviously someone who looks like me. She's a female. She was really experienced. She was really knowledgeable, and she was friendly, which is always a bonus. It was actually just so refreshing because even although obviously I left and pursued something else and moved on, I would think if I didn't have her kind of like guiding me and shaping me, I did definitely learn a lot from her. I maybe wouldn't mm-hmm. have been as not that I was dying to leave, but I wouldn't have been as eager because the role I've applied for now, where I'm at, I joined knowing hardly anything, but you can definitely end up putting yourself down and thinking you're not good enough or thinking, well, I need to learn this new skill or I need to get more experience here and stay here a bit longer. I remember one time she said to me, you know, just go for it. Like, why why would you stay here when they're offering you this and they're offering you money and training and, you know, support? And as much as she was a great manager, I I realised I couldn't just stay for her. But also I wanted to be able to one day, you know, meet up with her in a different environment, like networking or something and, you know, show what, what I've made of myself I guess I think it's just helpful to have someone who's really got your back and I think a lot of times women I don't know what you guys experience is but you don't always work somewhere where there is another woman who's got your back and is actually really pushing for you to succeed yeah so
0: I've always had male managers for as long as I can remember and I actually started to develop a bias for having a male manager and I you know let's not pretend I've got quite masculine traits. I'm quite assertive. And you know, um I I, I can I you know I, I I like to think I'm commercial. I like to think and and I have that kind of element to me. But I I had this huge bias. And then a few years ago I got a female. Um and I was just I don't know I just um I didn't think anything of it. But I've always been backed by strong male leaders and learned a lot for them. So it's just all I knew. And I think there might be a little bit of that going on with men. That if they're constantly surrounded by men who do have that confidence yeah. level, fifty percent is good enough attitude, then it rubs off. Like back to the role modelling piece, and so they've got that step ahead of us because men have been in certain roles that were purely kept for men. I totally you know, agree. HR's full of like women, and I didn't want to be a welfare officer. I didn't want to be the warm, compassionate. You know, if you've got a problem, you can come and chew my ear off. Open door policy. And it it just I just didn't want to roll model myself on any of that. But I had a female manager and she was just, you know, really ballsy mm. and didn't for that stuff either. And I was like, oh, it's like some weird myth that I'd created in my head based on what HR used to be like years ago, people that I'd observed and decided I don't want to be like that. Um so I think even, you know, I can be honest about my bias. But, you know, when you sent that post over, one thing that really got me, and I'm really pleased, like, Sibash, you mentioned that this recruiter who was a female I was waiting to see what you said when you said she. Mm-hmm. She challenged you on it. Because, actually, here's, the, here's my problem with it. If females are less likely to apply for something unless they've got 100% of the goods, then are we in danger that some, not all, but some female recruiters are also not putting us forward when they read our CV? And see that we don't have everything yeah compared to a male
2: I, I think there's definitely a risk of that um but i think like you're driven by a commission right so yeah i
1: think they will put you forward man
2: yeah
1: <laughs> 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 i just love that the, the, you're just the realism
2: <laughs> like she wanted to make her like whatever percentage off of me so i think she was like nah you're fine babe like you're going <laughs>
0: yeah yeah I yeah that's a good point I just I just got a little bit like paranoid and I was like oh my <laughs> god if this that applies to us and it's anywhere near 90 percent then that will explain what's going on with my CV right now I get it
1: <laughs> Explain them, um
0: yeah completely and, and I think that that's a really good segue onto like the blame the blame thing onto the thing that I wanted to talk about this week which is like behaviors and belief systems like Um, And I don't want to go too like textbook on it, like I'll share links and resources afterwards, but there's a thing called transactional analysis, which is looking at how we um, learn to like build relationships. So all of us have the ability to behave like um, the adult in us, even though we're always saying can't adult today, (laughs) um, we do, (laughs) we do have the ability to be the adult, but. Sometimes we will resort to being the child in given relationships, whether it's with our partner, with our parents, like we never get to adult to adult with them as it were, or we do sometimes, but we pick and choose when we're going to be the adult, when we're going to be the child and when we're going to behave like the parent. So I, I guess the stereotypical version of that would be the naggy wife or husband who's behaving like the parent and coming across naggy to the person that they're in a relationship with. And, I was thinking about this kind of victim mentality that when you're in child mode with a full grown adult and you keep resorting to being in child mode with them, like kind of like a bit whingy woo and a bit like not taking responsibility. So like your tone changes. Does that, does that make sense? Does any of this like resonate? Like I know I do it at times with, with my husband, I'll be like, play the mm-hmm. child when I want something. Yeah. I mean, a me, bit. I used
2: to do that all the time when I wanted something. It's actually embarrassing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm like, oh
2: please! Isn't it- like, oh.
0: <laughs> isn't it great to recognise it? And I don't think many people are necessarily consciously aware of which hat they decide to wear when, and not knowing when you're wearing that hat. So you know, like I was, I was, Just is half true. Like when I was like, so that's what's going on with my CV, then, and why I'm not getting callbacks. When you use information to your advantage to give context to something that is or isn't happening. And we apparently do that according to transactional analysis a lot. And it, there's a book by um, Eric Byrne called The Games We Play. Mm-hmm. And it's we're, play, we're always playing games, whether it's negative or positive. Um, that's just life. You know, that's not a bad thing or anything like that. We have different ego states of playing the parent, the adult or the child. And I was just thinking about I spend a lot of my time in a lot of relationships swinging between parent and child. I rarely ever kind of have an adult... I don't feel like I do anyway. I think we always have a danger of self-stereotyping, but I don't feel like I really do adult to adult as much as I want to be doing. So you feel like you're not and,
1: parenting your friends or whoever you're engaging with, but you feel like as if you've taken on the more adult role in the relationship. In terms of you're nurturing them the and caring for them more. Right. Yeah, I adopt that and I can never
0: quite tell whether it's because I became a step parent really early at the age of 25. But then, you know, there are other people who are young parents who don't behave that way towards their friends
1: and their other half down the line. I think it depends the on what friends the you got. Because if I think of my relationships, friendships, romantic, everything, I think I've got a good balance, but I've got a lot of friends who are a bit like you were saying, take on that it's not like they attract needy people or they attract people who need help or a lot of support, but they end up being almost like a caregiver in like a proxy way, I guess. Not that they're physically giving them care, but like they was that person who people call to their problems or when they want to talk about stuff. And I think it kind of depends on the friends you choose, because I'm always saying I don't know how you're friends with these people because they're just too much. Like, I couldn't mm-hmm. I couldn't have that kind of relationship. <laughs> I've got my own kid to look after and as much as I love my boyfriend yeah. he can sometimes be like, you know you've got to be really attentive and gentle and nice and caring, blah blah blah. And I'm like I don't need this in other yeah. like avenues of life. Like, I just want someone, not even to look after yeah. me, but someone who we can just be like normal with. That like, I don't always tell you about your dramas. Maybe that's me being a terrible person actually. Um, but, I don't think you're a terrible person. Yeah. I think it's about balance and
0: I think you got it right like with me I don't think I attract needy people I think I have a dominant kind of maternal side to me that plays out in the parent way even where my friends or relatives don't need me to be the parent and actually at times probably in danger of being a bit condescending and it's not deliberate I just don't know how to snap out of it and unlearn this behavior of mine because it's just such a you know, that was my strength, be mum, be stepmum, give the kids structure and order in life, you know, from Mm -hmm. young. And I just don't know how to drop it. But back to the victim piece, then if you overlay, if you think parent, Mm -hmm. adult, child, then you also get this other dynamic, which is picking and choosing alongside that, whether you're going to be the persecutor, the rescuer or the victim in a situation. So imagine the situation where you are being 80% 80% childlike. <clears throat> Not like me <laughs> at all. Um, Eighty. By the way, I just love the fact that I can be a child with all my friends. And the only way I'm going to stay friends with any of my friends is if I can remain <laughs> a child. Life. So, just because they meet me at my level. Like, I just feel like if I can see the 12-year-old inside you and I can roll around laughing when I'm talking to you, <laughs> sold. We're good. We're always going to be good. Because, like, even if you're an yeah. adult and you get drunk, and you can roll around, you're winning, (laughs) right? But the victim piece, if you become a child and you're always the victim, surely then you become like a burden on some people. And if you are the adult who knows how to adult with others, which is like the, the ideological state, the best possible position, then are you then, you know, like you don't have to play the role of persecutor or the rescuer. In the situation or the victim either and then if you're playing parent whether people need or even want you to be you'll end up either being the persecutor like reward punisher person Mm -hmm. all at the same time and and i just wanted to share those kind of principles i know it's a bit heavy but i was like actually when i step back and look at how these things play out in adult relationships there's probably a lot that we can learn and unlearn about the way that we interact with people mm. and where we want to be compared to where
2: we are so mm-hmm. we can keep growing together for sure what do you i mean like definitely and i think um like i'm, I'm 25 so i feel like not that this is an excuse it's just I think I have so much to learn about relationships with people and having like those different levels as well. And then just like checking yourself and like checking the boundaries that you set as well, like the boundaries that you set with others and then the boundaries that people set with you. Um, I think that's something that I'm like learning quite a lot about. Um, And I think beforehand I probably, I don't know, like it goes back to our conversation last week about having different zones with people. I think I'm quite... An open book, so yeah. where I'm like, yeah, all my friends are in zone like one to two. I'm just assuming, like, <laughs> that I'm just assuming that we've got no boundaries and they're just like my best friends and <laughs> all of this. So, I think that's such a good point, and I think definitely food for thought, especially for me. I, I don't know about you, Trish.
1: Yeah, no, I was going to agree with you, Charlotte. And to be fair, I don't think it's an age thing because I'm 31, and sometimes I'm still like giving myself like a mental check over of like how am I? How am I in this relationship dynamic with this friend or with my boyfriend or as a mom? I think you're constantly checking, like, how much mm. you're giving and how much you're taking on. Um, I'm probably not doing it as, quite as much depth and analysis as Jindy with the different roles that we play. But I think at each stage in your life, because as we continue to grow, we continue to evolve, our friendship and relationship dynamics always changing. For me, like, how my friends are now, probably my group even to 10 years ago is completely different. So I think it probably is worth something. Have, sometimes having those just checkpoints and yes. not necessarily checking in with your friends, but just checking how is this relationship working? And it sounds really selfish, but sometimes with some friends, you need to check in on, you know, how does this friendship weigh in on me and my mental health? Because if someone's, like you said, really negative and quite childlike and a victim, and you find yourself taking on that, adult persecutor or rescue the world that can sometimes be quite draining and sometimes you then need someone else who is that role for you otherwise you know where is your outlet yeah Yeah. and I think look um I don't actually
0: uh, other than the fact that I've read psychology and I have an interest in it I don't find myself analyzing this day-to-day or after interactions but with the theme of female empowerment it got me thinking about the games that we play every day and actually I think it's only really an issue if you as a person are Mm. a people pleaser that's probably the most kind of dangerous ground or you know these kind of dynamics it's not like everybody has to go away and start worrying about you know their interaction but if you if you have a belief system that you want to please people or you should at all times be polite or that's what you've been taught your default will become always trying to be polite or always trying to please people, like whatever your belief system is. And that's the bit I think that would need reassessing because it's not the case that you always need to please others. Sometimes like you're saying, Trish, you can just put yourself first and not please mm-hmm. others because that's actually being mm-hmm. in adult territory. Concerning. And it's it's more about the people-pleasing aspect and, and how we, um, I think you said it just now, Steve, as well, how we drop um you're talking about putting boundaries in place and reassessing them but actually we need to watch our boundaries not in terms of who we let in but why we let them in because when we when we break a boundary and we show this other person that we've been prepared to compromise yeah. on something and they see you as a people pleaser they'll they'll keep back for more and then that goes into like for me dangerous territory in terms of your own mental health as you said so that I wanted to link it back to female empowerment that understanding these basic principles looking at your relationships if you're not sure and you feel like somebody's actually abusing your trust or you know your time or you know worse still being quite abusive in a relationship then it gives you that framework to evaluate what's going on are they constantly in victim mode are they constantly in child mode? Do they flip too quickly and flex too quickly between being your parent one minute and being the child the next? And if they're never in adult mo- mode with you, what does that mean? Yeah,
2: I think in terms that's of how much you're yes, giving. such such so, good food for thought. I think for everyone, you could take something away from that what you've just said. Like, I'm here thinking, whoa, that was very good therapy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but yes, can I just bring it back to your topic you we talked about like you know we've all we all resonated with the you read the job description can do can't do blah 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 what would we I'm not saying we're like we're you know recruitment gurus or anything like but what advice would you give to somebody who is in the habit of reading it and going I don't have that so I'm not gonna apply or I don't have that so I'm not gonna waste my breath contacting the recruiter I feel like there's about a saying it. I
1: can't remember it so I'm really going to paraphrase it but it's something like you oh how is it going mm. I think I saw a good quote and it's something like you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take so if you don't apply for a job you don't you won't ever know if you would have got it I guess it's like you there's no harm in applying for something and you don't get it because then there's no love loss and for me if I see a job and I'm like mm, I could maybe you know figure it out I'll apply now anyway just because at least it gives me a starting point obviously I'm not going to go applying for like CEO of Barclays or something tomorrow yeah, why but <laughs> I wouldn't have a clue because it's Barclays Although... and one's always mentioning Barclays we know <laughs> why
0: when? so so you must know the old joke that we had with James oh, about yeah. the we had the bullshit bell for him and everything oh my god
1: you're going to have to ring the bullshit bell for me <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but i think what i was God, sorry chish you go no i think what i was trying to get is that there's a lot of the time and like with men there's no harm in putting yourself out there we do need to be more confident we do need to be more assured in ourselves. and if we don't meet all of it it's it's fine a lot of it we can learn i remember at this job i'm in now so we've got one guy who's on the exec and he's head of a department and he openly said I know absolutely nothing about this department that I look after. And he was like, but it's not my job to actually know. It's my job to put people in the right place, to do the job that actually makes money and actually makes the business run smoothly. I don't need to know like about, I mean, I'm giving away a little bit, but it's about to do with airplanes, basically. He's like, I know nothing about the industry. But what I do know is the best of getting, how to get the best out of people and how to motivate people, and how to move f- people forwards. And yeah. I just thought, you are actually here, and I know you're on like <laughs> six figures, telling us you don't know shit.
2: <laughs> that is so baldy. I love it. It
1: is. And I was like, you know what, if he can do it, and there's absolutely no difference between his skills and his knowledge. He's just a people person, and he's clearly quite good at managing people. So I'm not saying, like, to apply for a job you literally know nothing about. You need to at least know and have some of the skills to be able to execute the job properly. But I think us as women and just anyone in general, just put yourself out there. Anything you can learn on the job, you can. And I think, like, employees and recruiters really value hearing someone say, you know, I've got all this experience. I've got all this enthusiasm. I'm really keen to learn. I'm really keen to, like, fly. And like you said, it's just wing it is my favorite word I'm winging it every day no one gives you like a job interview to having a kid and we wing it all the time so you
0: can do anything oh I love I love that analogy that is so true given the multitasking that has to happen and you've not got any experience of doing it none yeah it's a great example I think that's a brilliant and I think I think see I'm back to my anxiety god I live by this stuff really don't I I should get myself a medal my anxiety medal but I don't think I would give that kind of advice and here's why And, and I'm not disagreeing with you I think you're absolutely right but here's my perspective on it because I think I am one of those people that have anxiety but also I don't I don't actually know it's got anything to do with that I think I'm the kind of person who would be so worried that each time they don't if I was giving a friend this advice each time they don't hear back and of course you've got to be in it to win it like you said but if they kept applying for jobs where they didn't have everything and they got a higher um, kind of failure rate, if you like, of rejections, mm. I think that erodes people's confidence more because of the sheer volume of getting rejection. So my advice would probably be just slightly different to say, you do have to, to build on yours, you do have to be in it to win it, but be selective about either what you apply applied for. And that might sound like the same thing, if I'm selective, then I'm just not applying for nothing, but really focus on your strengths and where you can actually make a big deal of those strengths and look at the percentage of the job description and kind of go, okay, I've got these three things. So I'm really going to go into detail about this, this and this. And I only say that because I fucking hate rejection. Like I don't cope with it very well at all. Like I just don't cope with it and it makes me angry and it makes me like feel defeated And I'm very quick to feel that way, like go from one end of the spectrum to the other. So I think my advice isn't different to yours. It's more for like people like me, I guess, (laughs) who want to kind of like play it as safe as possible. I
1: think that's fair enough. I remember one time I applied for a job and I'm not going to lie, I knew 80% of it and I went to the interview and the interview was great and they loved me cuz I could I feel like I'm great at interviews. I've never gone for an interview I didn't get except for this one. Because they then asked me to do a task and lord have mercy I had absolutely no fucking idea what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I just never submitted it and I was just like, yeah, I'm just not even cuz if I can't even do this pre-task, there's no way I can wing it on the job. So,
2: you know what, I no, get what I you think, mean. <laughs> I think that's interesting, but uh, Also, those tasks they do are so hard because they, and I don't think it's actually about the final product. I think it's about looking at your thought process and how you got there. So I had to do one of these tasks recently, and the task itself was honestly crazy, and I had to do it in an hour. And usually, you would never do a task like this within an hour. It's probably like a week's worth of work. Wow. And I, I'm sick, Trish. I was so, so so close to not sending it because I was like this is actually embarrassing but I was like Do you know what I'm gonna detail my thought process this is how I got here I might not have the finished product but you can see that this is what I was aiming for and I think that's it's just I think that it just goes back to our point of like not putting ourselves in situations or putting ourselves forward if we don't think we're going to get it like Trish yeah. you could have got that like and I'm sure you would have <laughs> but I don't know man yeah. <laughs> this was like
1: six <laughs> five six years ago
2: I really didn't know
1: what I was doing. But I, I saw myself like I knew I was. And then they asked me to us. And I was like, shit, I can't. If I can't do it now, I can't get this job. It was work for like a newspaper. And it was writing um ads. But like sponsored ads. So if we had, I think in the newspaper, let's say a company like Dove wanted to do a promo feature on body care and stuff. And I was like, I have no idea. I wasn't good at writing back then. I was working with journalists, but I wasn't a copywriter. And I just, mm-hmm. yeah, I just didn't bother. I just thought someone who actually knows what they're doing should have this job. But I'm proud of myself for putting myself out there. <laughs> I, <yeah>, I like <laughs> that.
0: I think if you took a combination of what we're saying, I, I love the positivity, CBAS, as well. Like, if you take what you said, like, wing it, put yourself forward, yeah. think about it. The and then when you get invited to the interview and you know what's involved, you have time to prep. And if you get sent an exercise and it makes you, like, reassess, then fine. Yeah. At least you need your foot through the door. Like you're saying. And see, best like what you're saying, you, it, it's a, what they tell us when we're sitting our exams if you can show your workings out, it doesn't matter if you knew the damn algebra answer in the end. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> whether it's Pythagoras or algebra or any of the other things <laughs> that I've struggled with. They used to say if you can show your workings out and get halfway there, you can still get some of the points. And, you know, that's still an opportunity for them, like showcasing what you can do. Um, and to be fair, when you're working strategically, you are only giving the headline information. Mm-hmm. You're not going into the detail um, necessarily. And so I think there's like, it's a good mixed bag there. I think my advice is the most awful, which is like, just be selective about what you apply for, which is the original
2: problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that's a good thing. And also like, to, you could even take it a step further. You're one Jindy in that. Um, I was actually talking to someone about this recently um, before all of like coronavirus shit happened. And he Mm. would just go for interviews, I think like once every quarter for jobs that he didn't actually want, but he knew he could get just for a confidence boost. Like I don't hear of any women doing that. Uh. I've never heard of that. And he was like, Charlotte, you need to do this. Like it is so good for you. He was like, you're not going to want these jobs. but He's like, just apply for them. Know that you're going to get them and just and when they like offer you the role you can be like nah don't need it <laughs> yeah that's that's a really
0: good point and I think sometimes we get so hooked on the job description that we have to give ourselves a chance to get in front of real people yeah. and see what they're like see if we'd actually enjoy working with them mm. because it's not the case that I, I focus so much on rejection but in reality like one of my biggest learnings is sometimes you get there you love the job you just wouldn't love working and I've turned down a- a job before on the basis that and I fucking hate it now because they're all over the tv and they're really big and they're really like you know their purpose is amazing and I'm I'm really <laughs> I'm kind of annoyed at myself but I, I keep reminding myself I didn't enjoy my interaction with the people and I couldn't see myself there but I could do the job mm-hmm. and sometimes it's not about whether you can do the job it's also about the environment yeah. like you were saying about growth and feeling comfortable
2: mm-hmm. so
0: uh, ah. so on that note of feeling
2: comfortable, sometimes we get triggered the bass. <laughs> <And> <laughs> <laughs> um we do yeah so take it to take it to the other end of the spectrum so like when do we feel like we're tested maybe it's like when we're in an interview or like coronavirus all being tested right now um and I was just talking to my dad about this the other day and he just said this phrase and he's he said it for ages but I never really listened to it <laughs> but it's so simple but it's so so effective and I think you can apply it to so many different areas of your life um and that is simply making permanent decisions based on a temporary feeling and I know I do this like quite a lot and like especially say for example if you are to take about what to what we've already been talking about is you know if you want to accept a role in that current state are you feeling anxiety about your current role or are you feeling anxious about the future and the company and what's happening and are you just jumping Mm. out of the frying pan and into the fire so I just think it's like a really good way just to take a step back and just think about like am I doing this thing because I want to is this the right thing or am I just doing it because I feel some like type of way and I don't know I think taking it back to like female empowerment would you say as women we do this more than men um and just to give you the science so obviously men have got more testosterone than us but actually that chemical or hormone makes does actually make men more impulsive so I think it's interesting to know that but I think like from your experience the both of you like have do you find that that happens Mm.
0: I make so many uh decisions um and I w- okay so they are permanent they end up being permanent because other parties involved make sure of it <laughs> so, if I, so i'll make temporary decisions all the time somebody pisses me off blocked your ass. somebody um doesn't give me as much attention as i might want well who even are you you know i'm really i i it's not even hormones i can't even blame it on that <laughs> i'm just I'm narcissistic. I have that trait, and I know I do. It's work in progress, aren't we all? And I'm like, a lot of the world revolves around how I see things. Like, I'm just like you've heard this phrase before, see that? I know you have. You're in my world, babe. And that I all and I say that. to, uh, The worst bit about it is I don't just think it. I say that in my head. <laughs> I look at people like, mm-mm, mm-mm, you're in my world. On <laughs> the other way around, So, and I've spent so many years doing that because of the imbalance that I had when I was a child, where. You know I wasn't even as far as people were concerned didn't even exist in their world and I'm like nope I'm very much a part of this family thank you family of five and I didn't have a voice and then when you get older you have a voice and then you you can make decisions and you get to be the one that bins other people off and you can go a bit overboard with that I definitely do that I make temporary decisions about people projects that I get involved with I'm like yeah I've had enough with that now I'm gonna bid it and I'm <laughs>
1: I I don't have any stay power. I think that's another issue. Trish, what about you? Didn't you say this? Well, like, you've been married for 20 years and I feel like that's not staying power. I don't know what is because there are some times with my boyfriend where he's just so annoying. Like, we've had an argument or something and I'm just like, I don't need this shit. I can't be bothered with this. Okay. And then when, like, we've calmed down, I'm just like, okay, yeah, I was really overreacting over something really <laughs> small. And Not that like, I'm ever going to break up with him, but I think I can maybe convey like a very serious emotion, like I'm just really frustrated and I'm really angry. But when the dust settles, I'm like, okay, we can just resolve it and, you know, talk about whatever it was was the communication issue and just kind of move past it. But I always say, yeah. like, you know, credit to long-term couples because this shit is not easy. And so many times I'm just like, ah, just be, life was easier when you had no one to stress you out, man. Just living by yourself and doing your own thing. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I know that, that doesn't, you know, It's not what makes me happy. I just need that time to kind of get over it and then I'm okay again. Another thing that I know is actually really my trigger point is changing jobs. I've always struggled with starting a new job. I've never started a job and not hated it. And I remember when I started at the company, we all worked together I absolutely mm-hmm. hated that place. Like, I did not want to go there. I did not want to be there. I didn't like the people. I didn't like anything or anyone. And... Trish, I sat two seats away from you. <laughs> but you were so busy Bye. at the time, Gingy. Like, you were managing <laughs> such a massive estate on your own, doing so many different things. Like, I think we didn't have that relationship then. But as you know, by the time yeah. I left... Like, it took a lot for me to leave that company. Like, I loved you guys. I love our team. And if it wasn't for career progression and, you know, trying to make better of myself and learn a new skill in a new industry, I probably would have just stayed. I know and I remember starting this job now and like literally three days in I was crying on my boyfriend's lap and I was just like I hate this job I hate the people and he was like it'll get better like you know just stick it out you've made this transition for a reason and Mm -hmm. I had lots of other stuff going on but I remember thinking I had this exact same feeling at the other job and the job before that so it just takes a while and it can be very tempting just to say you know I've made the wrong." wrong decision I wish I didn't leave the last company I wish I stayed there but actually that is it is a temporary feeling because it's not long term I just don't know the people like I haven't been working there for ages I haven't got my feet under the table Mm -hmm. so I've learned to kind of give myself breathing space and not apply so much pressure and I do love where I work now and we've got a new guy in our team he's really cool and I do love the people I work with like we have all our games nights or virtual quiz nights and stuff and it's weird like although I worked with you guys this time last year, it doesn't feel like it, it feels like I've been in this company forever. And I would obviously oh. never tell my boss how I originally felt at the beginning because she would think that like, was she a monster. But yeah, those are, I think those are my two things where I'm like, Trish, don't make permanent decisions based <laughs> on just how you feel in this heat of the moment. Like give things time to settle yeah. and, you know, like you said, don't jump from the fire. Is it? fine the right. fire, whatever it is. <laughs>
0: My experience is that the males, if I think about male friends and males that I've been in relationships with, they are more considered about what they do, but when they do hit the button and decide enough is enough, it's very permanent. So they don't, and this is a very subjective, you know, we don't have any stats around it, but I definitely feel that despite the fact that they are the ones with more testosterone, they're actually, my experience is they're more considered. And they're more patient, whereas I probably, you say it about 20 years, we've had three breaks <laughs> in those 20 years, and they were much needed, probably on both sides of the can, but they were much needed and extended breaks. We're talking six months plus in that time. And I literally divorce every, at least twice a day, in my own head. <laughs> divorce meetings get started at least twice a day. And Beth, you've heard this, so you can vouch for that, because... You've heard me banging on about, right, that's it. And it's just, it's nothing. It's like, I'm allowed to sit in my zone and chill out and read a book all day, listen to my music, not engaged at all, in a completely separate room. My God, if he does the same to me the next day. (laughs) I'm like, well, it's just basically vindictive, isn't it? (laughs) He's just taking me back to yesterday. I create this whole fucking delusional narrative that doesn't even exist. (laughs) But then... The difference is in the last couple of years, I've learned to talk to myself and talk myself out of it. I think it just comes with time. It's something you just have to grow as a person to stop doing and kind of go, you know what you're doing, right? You see it Mm now. And I think it goes back to the parent-child thing. We talk about parent-adult-child relationship with others, but we have one with ourselves as well. So my parent will start to talk to me, and mostly my adult will start to talk to me and go, Really? You'd have been divorced 7,850 <laughs> times by now, love. So, yeah, that's me, Seabass. I don't know if you've got any personal experience around, um, you know, temporary feelings.
1: And
2: uh, This is, I think, this is a hard one. And I think, actually, all of the decisions that I make are, I've, like, thought about them a lot. <laughs> like, a, like, probably too much. So, I, I'm, I would definitely say I'm not a risk taker. Um, but then, same as you, Jindy, like, I will make up these like narratives in my head that are definitely not the case, and I'll like twist them and turn them, and be like, oh my god, what if this happens, and what if this happens? So, by the time I actually make the decision, I have thought about every single outcome, like, and I've tired myself out that I don't think I could ever make. A permanent decision based on a temporary feeling because I've thought about it like too much you know like I'm talking about like big decisions yeah. like changing job or like breaking up with a boyfriend like I don't I wouldn't just be like one day be like nah fuck it I'm done like I've thought about it like a lot I don't know that that's that's me personally
0: yeah I, and I guess you know how do we break the cycle if we're the kind to get triggered what should we do I'd Fucking hate that count to 10 shit. <laughs> like,
1: it really bothers me. I'm like, who, whoever said that didn't have a problem. Yeah, it it's way. not going to be resolved in 10 seconds. That's for sure. To be fair, whenever I'm sort of making like a permanent decision on a temporary feeling... I don't. I don't think I've ever made a decision I've regretted. Like any breakup I've ever had, they were definitely for a reason. Even if it was that in the heat of that moment, I was just like, you know what, fuck you, get go away. This isn't working. Because to be <laughs> fair, I bro- I broke up with my daughter's dad based on an argument. Like I literally threw his clothes outside, and I told his sister to come and get his shit. But however, yeah. I feel like it was a build up of a lot of stuff though. So although that was quite a permanent decision in terms of like us raising her together and stuff. It was a temporary feeling that I'd maybe had a lot. So we were definitely just two different people. We wanted different things. We weren't really getting on. But I think I'm a kind of like with Charlotte, like, although my boyfriend now annoys me, I always kind of come down to, well, do you know what? This is just an argument over something stupid. Because I'm a bit like Eugene, I'm Just, like, fuck it, I don't need this shit. If we were married, I'd probably be like,
0: I don't need this shit. You're so chill. I do not see this side of you. I definitely
1: internalise it. And I think <laughs> my thinking time is when I'm sitting doing nothing. And I think probably this lockdown is why I've had to keep busy. Otherwise, I would just start thinking about all kinds of things. that like, do I really like this job? Because now I'm at home and I'm not seeing work people. Sorry, I've gone off on a tangent. I'm definitely questioning, like, I don't know if I actually like them that much. Because I'm perfectly, my boss is always going on about she misses the people and the canteen banter. And I'm just like, I don't miss any of this. So maybe I don't like them as much as I thought I did. Oh God, do you have a canteen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember we didn't have one. No, we had the caff and we had to pay But for the caff was epic, it. can I just say?
2: Yeah. I still
1: dream about lasagna chips and salad.
2: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I haven't thought about that since this <sighs> has happened. And now this is all I'm going to think about. Fuck <laughs> my life. You know, you know where we're
0: going after Tinnies in Hyde Park, don't you? That sweet,
2: sweet, greasy yeah. spoon.
0: Yes, we are. So, okay, consensus. There's only three of us. It's voting time. <laughs> Which the question was male or females, do we get more triggered in terms of making permanent decisions on temporary feelings? Just say male or female. I think female. Whoever...
2: Oh, I don't know. Uh... I,
0: think
1: we're, I think we're more impulsive in terms of like, I will buy am. a bag I don't need and I could probably use towards savings or something just because it's popped up on an ad on Instagram oh, and it looks cute. Mate. Best example. Now now that you've said that there's no questions because I'm never going to return
2: the bag I think okay so I feel like in with those kind of decisions yes but then like (laughs) big real life decisions I think because we are so more emotionally developed than men I would say that men are more likely to make big permanent decisions based on how they're feeling in the moment
1: I have a question out there are we more emotionally developed or are we just more emotional I
2: think it's
1: both. <laughs> so I'm, ni- I'm
2: neither. So I but don't we, get This is a good topic. topic. We should discuss it next week.
0: Yeah, we will. Yeah, we should. Yeah, we should because fuck my life. I just get older. I don't get wiser. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. So, yeah. So that's that. So I don't know whether the audience got any golden nuggets of female empowerment <laughs> through this episode, but I definitely Me did. Too. Um, yeah, I'm just going to sit my last bit of wine to the whole. Don't make. Oh, can we just can we revisit? So we're going to be like, are we more emotionally developed versus emotional compared to guys? And I'm, do you know, every time I say that, I'm always conscious that we do the fail, female male thing and not the non-binary thing and all of that kind of stuff. So maybe we can think about that and how we position mm-hmm. it for the audience, but also like the temporary decisions again. I think there's something really in that that i want to probably think about for next time um and i think for like finance financial empowerment i think for female empowerment you know it'd be great to hear from the um people that are listening what kind of things they've learned and grown through that they think other people would learn from and also what they want to hear about as well so um give us a comment on the insta page when this loads and let
2: us know Good stuff. Well done, guys.
0: Love you. Love you too. Love you too, babe. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. And if you listen to the end, you really are a true fan. Um, And if you are, please do share with your friends, share on Insta Stories, share through Spotify, and uh, let us know what you think in the comments. And now for the outtakes. Yeah, I oh, yeah. sorry. I even we were on the call, and then I was like, we were trying to wait, and I was like, now is Trish making this cider, or
1: is she pouring? Because <laughs> well, you I, said eight fifteen. So to be honest, I then left my uh, phone. I went to the toilet. I was talking and I was like, oh, so you said so like
0: five past. I'm really sorry. I was just being my usual sassy self, and I was like, <laughs> oh my god. When I got your message, I was like. And there she goes running her mouth again. When- <laughs> the wrong number. You've started early. How many other things? I'm like, nah. Sorry. I'm uh, just going to have to fess up about my behaviour. Um- <laughs>
1: Fine. <laughs> well, I managed to pour myself another glass of wine. So- <laughs> Jindy, I'm stressing. Did the last one not record? Because I don't remember anything I said. <laughs> I wonder whether Seabass' phone died. Oh God, I always make sure I charge it and everything. So it was like half an hour before and I was like, Trish, you have one job and that is to make sure the phone stays on. <laughs> I, I'm i running at about, I was
0: running at about 70% and I got really paranoid. I don't know why. This is my I mean that high functioning anxiety. I was on 77% <laughs> and yet I still had a massive panic about, all of the things that are bad that could happen. Like, what, what could happen? You're at 77%. <laughs> and, this, and this is what I do. I, I literally have, you know, like if I didn't have a script, I never use the script, but if I didn't have it beside me, mm-hmm. I'd just be like, nah, can't get started. Don't know what to say. I have no words. I think happened. I
1: am going to try and do a script for next time because I definitely waffle. This is, I don't even know I if it's awfully it. good, but I definitely <laughs> waffle. <laughs> no, please don't do scripts. <laughs> exactly how you are well, like like, bullet points so I've got like sometimes I just stray and I'm like well, what was the question again I'm just talking for the sake of talking yeah but there's nothing wrong with that because if I <laughs> around the house listening I just be like la 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 you know I, mean? I, I
0: forget as well because I'm like you know what I just can I just I know I say this every week but I really enjoy our conversations like, so do I
1: I feel like it's, it's like just yeah. a one hour catch up just to talk about stuff and like people are actually here to listen to what we're talking about <laughs> Oh, she said, <laughs> kind of oh my
0: god have I sent it to the
1: wrong place again have I sent it to the wrong place again oh my god I'm ridiculous
0: pours herself another glass of red
1: Julie at one point I was like can they hear me sipping the cider I was trying to do it so quietly <laughs> like when yeah. you were talking I literally
0: can't also can I just say I think certain noises are allowed and pouring yourself a drink I don't even care if that's a podcast People think, like, we're keeping it real out here like you know if it's between me and the evolving uh, my me my alcohol clearly my alcohol is me
1: hundred uh, percent
0: and the audience they lose. So, this is what's really annoying. Sherlin doesn't give a shit when noise is made around him, and I'm so sorry for being so competitive about this. <laughs> and it is just it's like I when I know he's recording and he records for an hour and a half because they're talking about football technical talk and coaching and so i i start to go around the dining table because you can't actually make it all the way around without like creaking or making a noise and mm. so, you know, when you're trying really badly not to make a noise you end up making loads of fucking noise like scraping <laughs> a big wall as you go by and one time i thought he wasn't talking so i pulled the
1: kettle can i tell you I my mom does that at least three times a day when i'm on the calls in the kitchen and i'm like you have been sitting here when i've been doing nothing and the second i go on the phone she's making cups of tea she's making a sandwich she wants to put the washing machine on
0: because i think when the other person that you're sitting in the house with is busy you suddenly get all productive like okay well then i'll use my time wisely and i'll do all these things and i was just like and he doesn't care Aww. he even like called me over to give me a kiss and I was like this wouldn't happen on my podcast. No
1: <laughs> podcast like some kind of weird creature that I am and I was like why is he like this what is- Why am I, like this? I feel like the fans might I- want to hear that Chindi you should let him oh, I'm not sure that cookie monster voice I
0: just did is yeah is- <laughs> 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 just like, no. it's just like oh that's what her ugly voice sounds like, like So i love it oh you're such good friends